Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. It's Sunday night. It's live. It's coming to you from Seattle. Step away from your cocoa. It's time for some soul adrenaline. It's time to go hog wild. Here is your host, intergalactic evangelist, flying Scotsman, and freedom fighter, Bill Hogg. Well, that's a little bit different opening for Heart of the City as you're listening today. I've got a special friend with me that many of our KGNW listeners know, and his name is Bill Hogg. Welcome to Heart of the City, Bill. Great to be here with you, Chuck. Well, it is good to it is good to be with you. I'm trying to remember the last time that I saw you. It's been a few years. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think might be the order of seven or eight years or even a little longer. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, you were traveling through town and uh, called me up and said uh, that you were going to be coming through. And uh, so we just set up this time because I know our KGNW listeners want to hear what's going on in your life now and just to hear hear your voice again. Oh, great. Yeah, that was a blast from the past, that trip down memory lane. I didn't expect we were going to get the old intro music to Hogwild. Well, I was just get, I was wanting to find the old intro that Dick Staub used to do when you did the segment, because uh, he had a he had a wild intro for you during those days when you used to do Dick Staub show, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering even if he had rooting pigs or something <laughs> grunting. Yes, and he did. And yeah, God bless Dick Staub. <laughs> So, so for for those of uh, you that don't know, uh, Bill Hogg is the uh, national missiologist for C to C Network, and, and you're located up now in uh, Vancouver, uh, Canada area, correct? That's correct. Uh, I've got a national now, North American, and slightly international role with a Canadian church planting network called C to C Network, and our offices are. Uh, outside of Vancouver in BC, uh, but we support church plants uh, from coast to coast, from Vancouver Island all the way up to Atlantic Canada. Uh, We are supporting 110 church plants and apprentices, Mm -hmm. and uh, we're all about establishing gospel-centered, spirit-led, mission-focused, brand-new churches coming alongside to serve and support the established church and mission uh, but really, there's a reason behind all of that, Chuck. And and we get our name C2C Network from Psalm 72, verse 8, which says, He, Jesus, shall have dominion from sea to sea, which, strangely enough, is a scripture inscribed on the Peace Tower in Parliament Hill in Ottawa, hmm. the capital of Canada. So the real goal is to spread the name and fame and glory of Jesus from coast to coast. Well, I want to talk about that uh, later on in the program, but, you know, as I was sharing with you, I love to hear the story of why you're doing what you're doing and how you came to that point in your life where you decided to become a pastor and and what motivated you to do that. And so often our listeners don't get to hear, they get to hear some great preaching on the air, but they don't understand the the relationship uh, that someone has with our Lord. (laughs) to bring them to that point where they want to share the gospel or share what they have uh, have to say and what the Lord has given to them. So I'd love for us to go back and, and, uh, and learn a little bit more about why you do what you do and how you got to that point. 
Now, by your accent, I would have to say that you did not grow up in southern Mississippi. Uh, you're very astute in discerning, that's correct. <laughs> so where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in the west of Scotland in what had been a shipbuilding community back in the glory days of Scotland being a global leader in shipbuilding. But actually, as a boy, I bounced in and out of the United States like a little Scottish yo-yo uh, because of my dad's work. Uh, my dad worked for IBM, which we thought stood for I've Been Moved, <laughs> uh, but it actually stands for International Business Machines. And as a consequence of that, you know, I spent some of my boyhood in New York, upstate New York, not the Big Apple, and also Minnesota. So in and out of Minnesota, I was recounting to someone as a boy in Minnesota, one day I, I missed the school bus and walked home in a blizzard, and you only do that once. <laughs> yeah. And when I got home, there was no sympathy at all whatsoever, like you missed the bus. What do you expect? So thanks for that. But when I was in Minnesota, uh, as a kind of afterthought, I thought I'd go to camp. And so I signed up last minute as a lollygagger to go to Camp Jim. And uh, when I got there we went up in a rickety old school bus to this place north of the twin cities somewhere apparently the ministry's still running because one night i got bored and discovered that camp jim uh, isn't named after a guy called james it actually stands for jesus and me and so when i got there uh, one of my uh, bright ideas as a boy was to become a major league baseball player uh, that never transpired as you're probably aware but uh, the appeal of the camp was there was softball uh, there was a lake you could go swimming in, uh, a raft, and you would swim out to the raft, climb up on the raft, dive off, and you were warned about what a snapper turtle could do to a small boy if he wasn't <laughs> careful. Right. But the thing that uh, kind of rubbed my fur the wrong way was I discovered it was kind of like church. Oh, my. The, yeah. It was Bible study in the morning and the services in a big, gigantic log cabin chapel at night. And back then I had a fondness for baseball and it was the all-star game so i decided to play hooky and listen to uh, the all-star game on my transistor radio and i went awol so a few boys went awol but it's easy to locate a boy who's got a transistor radio that's generating static in the woods yeah so kind of like little uh escape pow's they rounded us up and placed us in the back of the chapel but a significant life-changing thing happened for me that night chuck and that was uh the speaker, whose name I remember, his name, his name was Paul Miller. Can't remember a thing he said, but God spoke through the speaker and penetrated my heart. And I realized with a profound awareness, even though I'd been brought up in a believing home, I was not a child of God. I was not a Christian. And I needed to experience the forgiveness that Jesus died on the cross to offer. So that night, I became a profoundly aware that I was cut off from God and I needed to get right with God. And Paul Miller gave a good old-fashioned altar call. And that night, the truth that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, landed in my heart, and I wept my way into the kingdom of God and sensed God's nearness and a cleanness of heart and conscience and realized I was a child of God. I'd be about 12. And... Uh, People at camp noticed the difference. There was like some quasi-dramatic change in a pre-adolescent boy. But I drifted away from that first-time commitment to Christ where Jesus hijacked me in the woods of northern Minnesota. And so my final year of high school, 
I was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Christian. I would show up at church on Sunday, but I wasn't living for God. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know God is limitless in his kindness and his patience, but it's almost like the Lord said to me, hey, little man, quit messing around. Are you all in? Are you all out? And I wrestled with that, I don't know, two, three weeks. I'm not sure because, uh, you know, I was a teenager at the time and, and the passion of years fogs the precision of your memory. But uh, I had this sense if I surrendered to Jesus in my final year of high school, maybe he would call me to be a missionary or a pastor. And I thought, how dreadful a pastor. Yeah, yeah, because you know? your eyes are still on baseball. Well, by that time, baseball would get knocked out of me because I'm back in Scotland at that time. Okay. And, and so the illusions of uh, being in Cooperstown as maybe the second Scotsman ever uh, never materialized. Right. And uh, in that final year, uh, I surrendered to Jesus and had a radical encounter with him. And shortly thereafter, I knew my life had been set apart for a purpose. It was very clear, but, but not precise. You know, what did that look like? Uh, to be a pastor, to be a preacher. And then uh, I thought, well, maybe uh, maybe I should earn some money, live in the real world before I engage in ministry. And so my final year of high school, when the career guidance people would come through, I would seize the opportunity with a bit of gospel grandstanding to say in front of everybody in the lecture theater, well, you know, God might want me to be a missionary, so would this actually advance that idea? And then they would respond either very courteously or very patronizingly while my classmates would roll their eyes. Uh, but I embarked on a, an, an engineering degree, and I just thought maybe I'll work in industry for a while. Um, maybe I'll put some money aside to pay for theological and Bible training. That was kind of the idea about it. But during my second year of engineering, I failed. I failed the course. Uh, and I was given the opportunity for resets back in the day before Maggie Thatcher mm. uh, yanked away repeat year grants. And so I had three resets. You know, I think there was only five courses, so <laughs> I, w I wasn't doing too well. Yeah. That would be a pretty good batting average for a baseball player, yeah, like exactly. batting 400. But academically, batting 400 ain't going to fly. Yeah. And so I passed one. One was marginal. And the third one was like the Seattle Seahawks against the Atlanta Falcons, it was not a pretty outcome. And so I was then at a wide junction, what do I do? You know, what do I do? And my dad said to me, well, if, if uh, you had a blank sheet of paper, money was no object, what would you do, son? I said, dad, I would preach the gospel. And so I even went down for an interview at a Bible college. Was, was that hard for your dad? I mean, as a businessman working for IBM, did he, but he was a, he was a believer. He, he was a believer. Uh, that that wasn't really hard for him. I mean, uh, I think we had that conversation in IBM because it was the degree you did some industrial placement. So I'm standing at his desk having that conversation. My dad's always been one of these guys who would, uh, he loved, not always because he drifted away from faith and then had a reawakening, but has uh, loved Jesus, wanted to honor Jesus, I mean, and, and would look to the Bible for wisdom. So at one point, I had a question about the org chart in IBM because some people had two-line managers. And I just thought, this is crazy. How does that work? And my dad's response was a classic. He says, Jesus is always right. A man cannot serve two masters. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I think Jesus was talking about God and mammon, but he applied it to yeah. having two-line managers yeah. in IBM. 
And so I think, and I can remember my dad just really, really want what's best for you, what's best for you, and what's best for you ultimately is what God has fearfully and wonderfully made uh, you for. And so it was supportive, drove me down there. But then I thought, you know, I've started this. I need to finish it. And so it's kind of out of a sense of obligation or duty. But something else dramatic happened in that second year. Repeat, you know. So there I am. My previous uh, classmates have gone ahead. Uh, and I bump into a guy in the refectory of the university. I used to go to this refectory to eat lunch uh, because the cute girls were there. Of course. And why not? And the food was okay, but the cute girls were there. <laughs> yeah. And a guy came up to me called Alan Taylor. First conversation I've ever had with a social studies because those two didn't mix. Engineers and social studies are two different social species. And he extended his hand to me uh, and said to me, I'm Alan Taylor. I said, how do you do? I'm Bill Hogg. And he said, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well. That was his first question. That was his opening. Like I thought, wow, there's a man with no social intelligence <laughs> right there. Uh, yeah. And uh, I gave him a kind of religious stonewall answer. I said, uh, I've been sanctified. He said, that isn't what I asked you. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I, and I didn't respond. And as he's asking me this, a spiritual yearning and hunger begins to percolate inside me. And he said, would you like me to pray with you? And I always knew prayer was a good thing. Yeah. And uh, I said, okay, Alan, yeah. So we found an empty lecture room. And this guy uh, who I'd just met started praying for me, but he wasn't praying in English. He wasn't praying in English with a Scottish accent. He was praying in fluent Swahili. And he put his hand on <laughs> my shoulder, which unnerved me because, hey, we just met. You know, right. it's a first date. What are you doing <laughs> putting your arm around me? And, yeah. And now you're praying fluently in Swahili, and then he interpreted the Swahili in King James Version English and said, in not many days, hence you will receive power from on high. And that kind of put me on a, a search, a pursuit of experiencing more of God. And uh, in our near our town, near where we lived, there was a church that had a unique ministry to people who had fears and phobias. Some of them would make no sense, quite irrational, like people who were scared of pigeons yeah you go okay weird or scared of the dentist that makes sense to me and they would receive prayer and be set free but it was also a, like a filling station from uh, people who for people who had never um been filled with the holy spirit and maybe came from church backgrounds that were not really uh open to all that god might want to do so it was kind of like a filling station for non-charismatics anti-charismatics the fearful and those who believe in uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. <laughs> uh, and it opened them up to a new powerful experience of, of the love and power of God. And so, uh, to cut a long story short, at a dramatic encounter with the Holy Spirit, huh. uh, that gave me a whole new awareness, uh, not only of God's power, uh, but of God's affection for me. And and these things, that's a long time ago, these things have fueled my journey with Jesus. So why, why am I doing what I'm doing now? I think because of those pivotal landmark experiences where at different points the Lord has uh, interrupted me in my journey, interrupted me in my disobedience. And the first call is not to be a missiologist, a pastor, a theologian, a preacher, but the first call is uh, the summons and invitation from Jesus, come follow me. Hmm. 
You know, it's interesting. I As I hear the stories of many different pastors and ministry leaders, men and women, I am so reminded, especially as I'm getting older now, I, I'm 61 years old, and I start to see the seasons of life and the faithfulness of God throughout those seasons over a long period of time. And and so I, th- I think about, you know, you as a young man and seeing how the Lord dealt with you, but then you strayed away and then came back. And then through all of those things, God has been faithful to you, hasn't he? He has. He has. And even the tough times, I mean, depends on people's theological operating system. I mean, God is king, God is sovereign, and people say God permits, God allows, or God sends. Well, I think God sends stuff to get your attention. And even in the hard times, there's been a redemptive, refining, sanctifying agenda where God wants to knock away at my self-sufficiency, your self-sufficiency, and that default myth. I mean, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And every once in a while, I'll actually believe that. <laughs> but but then God kind of pulls the rug from under your feet and thrusts you into a place of vulnerability and dependence because he wants us to live as trusting children, energized by his love, tenderness, and affection. What would you say your life message is? Do you have a, a, a particular message in your in your life? I know what what mine is. I've uh, the, the Lord's given me like a specific scripture, <clears throat> that is my life verse and a life message that, that is like, this is what I want you to um, articulate about my character to others. Is there something specific for you? That's a, that's a question we hadn't talked about, but is there something that kind of burns in your heart that's your life message? Well, I think the, go- the gospel, like the core message of the gospel uh, like I'd alluded to earlier, Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen three and 4, uh, I want to remind you of that which is of first importance. So I find myself reminding leaders, churches, uh, trainee church planters, apprentices of the centrality and power and clarity and truth and beauty of, of the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures and I find myself being drawn back again hmm. to the centrality of Jesus and his death on the cross where he took our sin, death, judgment and hell upon himself and because of that we can be clean, free and forgiven and because God vindicated his son by raising him from the dead we can be put right with God and because uh, Jesus ascended into heaven and released the spirit you and I don't have to embark on a grueling self-improvement program Jesus can live his resurrection life in and through us so I find myself orbiting you know uh, as a pastor I've done expository preaching from Hebrews that you know the mystery of Hebrews and uh, I've done training in evangelism but I find myself increasingly coming back to the centrality sufficiency and power of Jesus that Jesus is enough I mean I was with a young leader and he said what if this happens what if that happens what if I go bankrupt you know what if the the family falls apart I said, Jesus is bigger. Jesus would be enough. You know, uh, that that makes me think of Anne Graham Lotz mm. because her story is, or the, the name of one of her books is Just Give Me Jesus. Mm. And that sounds so simplistic, but it is really the truth, isn't it? That he is the central figure and is Jesus is the answer. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds simplistic, but it's deep, it's profound, and it's not a kindergarten truth that we can ever graduate from, the centrality 
and power and authority of Jesus. Um, I mean, I, I hear people because I'm involved in, you know, propelling people into missions and evangelism, and people saying, well, I shared the plan of salvation. Well, salvation isn't a plan. Salvation is a person. Salvation is found in a person. Life is, is found in a person. And uh, I think a lot of our spiritual problems as believers uh, would fade away if we fix the gaze of our hearts repeatedly mm -hmm. and freshly on Jesus. I mean, there's an old preacher who talked about the expulsive power of a new affection, right? Mm -hmm. And so the idea, if our affections are ignited by the beauty and power and holiness and the majesty and authority of Jesus, uh, that propels us to live a different way. And, you know, there's different traditions like the Christian Missionary Alliance talk about Jesus, Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, Coming King. What's that? It's saying it's all about Jesus. Or the Foursquare. Mm -hmm. they, they've got their quadrilateral, and it's uh, Savior, Healer, Baptizer, and Coming King. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think our churches across North America need to get back to the centrality of Jesus. Uh, I mean, the United States is, is a wounded nation who's going to heal it, the king. king Jesus. King yeah. Jesus. And, and we need to lift up Jesus in our preaching, not beat people up with rules and regulations, impose moralism on them, or give them Reader's Digest pablum at our gatherings. We need to open them up to the glory of Christ. Well, the last, uh, we've got a, uh, just a couple of minutes left. I'd like to you to share just a little bit about, about C2C Network and what you're doing I I with that, with pioneering and helping plant churches. Uh, thanks, Chuck. Yeah, well, my role's national missiologist, so I, I help brand new baby and established churches follow Jesus faithfully and fruitfully on mission. Uh, but C2C Network's a glorious story of kingdom collaboration where a denominational uh, provincial church planting network morphed into an interdenominational collaborative network with 23 evangelical denominations from coast to coast. And so we and a team, mates, our regional directors, we don't plant churches. Church planters plant churches. So we discern if they have the right stuff and then we pour into them, support them, make sure the structure's in place. And uh, by God's grace, we're seeing some beautiful things happen even in places like, say, Quebec, uh, where people are young adults. We're seeing young adults in droves in some places coming to faith in Jesus. And, and uh, listeners might not realize that Quebec is the most unreached piece of real estate in all of the Americas, less than one half of 1% 1 evangelical. It means there's more evangelicals in the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. So we're in this dark uh, mission field, beautiful country, Canada, as of August 1, we've become binational, and C2C Network exists to lift up Jesus and serve and support the church and the multiplication of disciples and churches. So if someone here in Seattle, an organization or a, a pastor, is interested in, in contacting you or finding out more about what you're doing, what do they do? Uh, they could go to our website, Chuck. C2Cnetwork.ca, and that's letter C, number two, letter C, network.ca, and, and kind of uh, move around the website, see what's there in terms of resource information. They could always drop us an email too, bill at C2Cnetwork.ca. Well, Bill, we've got uh, just about 30 seconds left. I want to thank you for joining us today on <coughs> Heart of the City, and I'm I'm really glad to know that you're doing well. You've got your granddaddy now. That's right. Yeah, I'm grandpappy or papa. 
as who I am to three and a half year old Mackenzie. Oh wow! And I'm sure you enjoy, and your wife, your bride Moreg, uh, enjoys seeing that that grandbaby. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you again for thank joining you. me today. If you want to uh, know more about uh, what Bill's doing, uh, you can go to www.c. 2C, the letter C, 2C, network.ca. And if you want to hear this broadcast again, you can go to the podcast on kgnw.com. Bill, thanks for joining me today. God bless. been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of a City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on KGNW, call Chuck Olmsted at 206-269-6216 or go to KGNW.com.